I'm going to start out and I want to ask, I want to make a bold statement. All right? Now, I know some of you are spiritual, but I'm going to ask you for you, for you to be really real here for just a moment. And here's, here's my bold statement. The Bible is a difficult book, right? I know some of you are spiritual and you're like, oh, no, it's not. No, the Bible is a very, very difficult book. See, I love bacon, like love with a capital L-O-V-E. Bacon is one of the six food groups, right? I love me some bacon. Bacon makes anything better, right? Like you can take a meat and put bacon on it. Dude, that makes that so good. You can take vegetables and put bacon on it and make those vegetables that much. Okay, you can go a little too far. Like, like I've seen this bacon soda. Anybody drink that? Like, that's going a little bit too far. But bacon, man, I, I love bacon. And I some of you guys, you really, you really butcher the bacon. When, when, you, when you cook that bacon and you bite into it and it crisps and, and it chips your tooth, that's too far. That, that bacon needs a little bit of bend in it. It needs to be a little bit softer. I'm just saying that is the way bacon should be done. Amen? Anybody? Anybody feeling me? There we go. In fact, this summer, one of the things we did at the church is we did uh, we did bacon and pancakes on the front steps right outside the church. And I began thinking about that, and I'm like, you know, that could be a thing for our church. Could you imagine crowds that we would draw if we had bacon before church every Sunday morning? Uh, it might be an idea. Did you know the Bible talks about bacon? Leviticus 11. It says, the animals that chew on their could that have divided hoofs, you are not to eat. And you're like, okay, what does that mean? Animals that chew on the could. This is like when you're out with people and you like throw up a little bit in your mouth. And you're nervous. You're like, I don't know what to do with it. So you swallow it because you don't want to be embarrassed. That's chewing your could. That is where you, you, you regurgitate digested food. Okay. Good thing is pigs don't do that, but pigs do have divided hooves. And so the Bible says they are an unclean animal. Can you, imagine, can you imagine if somebody picked up the Bible for the very first time and happened to turn to the book of Leviticus chapter 11 and saw that God was forbidding bacon? Can we agree? The Bible is a difficult book. I know as Christians, sometimes you hear people say this, well, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. They say things like, we should just do everything the Bible says. Now, that is really easy for us to say. But can we acknowledge how difficult that is for us to do? See, the book of Exodus 21, it actually says that if your child curses a parent or dishonors a parent, you are to stone them to death. So let me just ask for a raise of hand. Any of you guys stoners in here today? I will admit, I have never seen anybody protest outside of the governor's mansion for the right to throw stones at their children. I've never seen that. Anybody seen that? Leviticus 19 says, you are not to wear clothing with more than one type of thread. How many of us in this room are guilty of that this morning? I know some of you are saying, well, oh, okay, Pastor Kevin, that's just that's the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament. Now we're the New Testament. Okay. Well, what about this? 
1 Timothy 2 says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, which we would understand. That means that God in his establishment of the church has men to be pastors. But just before that, in that same passage, it says, I command men everywhere to lift their hands in holy prayer. In fact, when we were praying here just a few minutes ago, how many men had their hands lifted in holy prayer? Again, it's easy for us to say, just do everything the Bible says. It's a little bit harder for us to actually do that. Ephesians 5 says, There shall be no obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking within your life. And I know some of you are like, I don't do that. But let me ask you, how many TV shows and movies do you watch that that is filled with that and consumes your mind? And then we go a little bit further. Because I know that there are some of us in this room that we've been beaten up with the Bible. People shoved Bible in our face. He said, the Bible says you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. How many of us have been in that situation? And it's almost like in response to that attitude, in response to the commands of Scripture that are difficult. Nowadays, what happens oftentimes with Christians and sometimes in our churches is we say we're all about grace and not obedience, right? When, when somebody begins to talk about obedience to the commands of Scripture, we talk about righteousness, that person gets labeled as a uh, legalistic person. Because again, here we are and this day of grace, and grace opposes that idea of righteous and moral living and, and having a bunch of commands to follow. It's all, today, it's all about love and not law. It's about grace and not about obedience. And if that's true... One of the questions we have to wrestle with is what do we do with the Old Testament? And all the commands of the Old Testament, all the things that says you should do this and you shouldn't do that, what do we do with it? Do we disregard it? Do we throw it away? Do we say the Old Testament is irrelevant to us today and now we're all about the New Testament? You see, the past couple of months, we've been in this sermon series that we're calling The Story, where we're trying to grasp uh, from the beginning of the Bible to the very end, how the Bible is all one big. It's not these individual books, these individual characters, individual commands. It's all one big story, all about Jesus and what he has done for us. But the question we have to wrestle with is, is when it comes to the Bible, sometimes it feels like there's this difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? You read the Old Testament, you read all these commands. Do this, don't do that. And then you come to the New Testament, and here you've got Jesus, and he's talking about love and grace. And it kind of feels like maybe the New Testament replaces the Old Testament. Now, when we started the series, we spent 19 weeks trying to show you how the Old Testament was really pointing us to Jesus, pointing us into to Jesus. But today is a really unique opportunity for us because we're going to see Jesus as an interpreter. Jesus is going to, to interpret Scripture for us, and he's specifically going to speak about the relevance of the Old Testament, and actually Scripture as a whole. And so here is we, if we can be honest, and say the Bible can be a challenging book, if we can be honest that oftentimes we're trying to wrestle with some of the hard parts of the Bible, if we can be honest and say we're trying to understand what feels to be a contradiction between obedience and grace, if we can be honest in that situation today, I think we can look at what Jesus has to say as Jesus teaches us 
that even though Jesus came in grace and love, he didn't come actually to get rid of the Old Testament commands. Actually, he came to fulfill those commands, to fulfill Scripture, leading us into a pure righteousness in him. That's what we want to accomplish this morning. So today we're going to look at kind of two points. We're going to look at the relationship between Jesus and Old Testament Scripture. And then we'll look at the relationship between us as Christians and Scripture as well. We'll start with Jesus. And here's what he says. Do not think, this is Matthew 5, 17. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Now, the law, if you aren't familiar with this term, refers to the five books of the old, first five books of the Old Testament. This is Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the, and the prophets refer to the books that come after that. This is kind of the commentary on the law. And so put together, the law and the prophets refers to all of the Old Testament. Okay, Jesus is saying, do not think that I've come to abolish all of the Old Testament. Now, one of the things you need to know is as you read Scripture, as you're trying to understand what Scripture is saying, you kind of have to ask some questions. And here, based on what Jesus just said, remember he just said, do not think that I've come to abolish these things. What question do you think the people were thinking about? What question was running through their minds? They were thinking, Jesus, did you come to abolish the Old Testament? Did you come to, to get rid of it? And the question then becomes, well, why would they think that? Why would they think that Jesus came to get rid of the Old Testament and abolish it? Well, Scripturally, we know in, in uh, Jesus' day, the religious leaders, these were the scribes and the Pharisees. These were people who were experts at the Old Testament commands. These are people who tried to simplify the kingdom of God into a list of external rules and commands. And these religious leaders said, basically, if you can follow all the rules, if you don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls, so do. You follow all the rules then you will be good with God. Then you'll be right with God. Well, Jesus shows up, and he comes to the mountainside, and he, he begins to preach the Sermon on the Mount, which is, which is just a, a powerful passage of Scripture, where Jesus is describing what it looks like to be citizens of the kingdom of God. He's describing this is what it looks like to be believers in him. And he says something absolutely revolutionary. Beginning of Matthew chapter 5, Verse 3, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is a kingdom of God. And again, here's these religious leaders listening to Jesus preach. And these religious leaders are people who have emphasized, man, you've got to keep all the commands. You've got to list, you've got to do all these things you've got to do. And Jesus comes and essentially says it's the opposite. Those who are poor in spirit, theirs is a kingdom of God. And the religious leaders would have been appalled. What are you saying, Jesus? Are you trying to get rid of the Old Testament that we love? The Old Testament that we've become experts in? Are you trying to throw it out? So this is what Jesus says. Don't think I've come to abolish it. I haven't come to throw it away. Rather, I've come to fulfill it. Now that word fulfill, if you look at the original language, it's a word that, uh, called play row, which means to bring into full completion, to complete, to fill to capacity. See, imagine, imagine if I had a glass of water. I had a glass of water, and it was like halfway full, three-quarters of the way full. To say that Jesus fulfills Scripture means that because of Jesus, that 
glass of water is now up to the top. In fact, that glass of water is now overflowing. Jesus is saying the Old Testament has got you this far. And now that Jesus says, I've come, I'm not coming to disconnect from the Old Testament. I'm not coming to, to, to throw the glass of water out and say it's not relevant anymore. No, he's saying I'm coming to fulfill it. I'm the one that the Old Testament has always been pointing to. And the one who brings it into full capacity. In fact, theologian N.T. Wright said this. He said, when Jesus spoke of Scripture needing to be fulfilled, he was thinking of the entire storyline at last coming to fruition of an entire world of hints and shadows now coming into full light. Another theologian uh, commentator said, the Old Testament is the gospel in bud form. Of the New Testament, the gospel has now taken full bloom. So if Jesus fulfills the Old Testament scripture, the question is, how does he do that? How does Jesus fulfill scripture? Well, let's answer that question. Number one, he fulfills all the demands from the Old Testament, all the commandments. He fulfills and completes them perfectly. No one else can say that. See, remember, remember a couple months ago, we looked at the Ten Commandments. Remember the Ten Commandments? And we looked at the Ten Commandments, and we said, these are things that we should, we, we, we should obey. But the problem is, none of us can. None of us can keep the commandments perfectly. We're all fallen. We're all broken. Commandments were actually there to point us to our need to Jesus. Yet Jesus is different than us. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to every one of the commands of the Old Testament. In fact, the book of Hebrews says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet he was without sin, which means he kept every one of those commands. And not only did he keep those commands from the Old Testament, he also took the punishment that we deserve for our disobedience. Galatians 3 says, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So Jesus fulfilled these Old Testament commands by, by keeping these commands perfectly. Secondly, Jesus fulfills Scripture by fulfilling all of the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah and the Christ. See, much of the Old Testament is prophecy. It is God uh, looking forward to the Messiah, looking forward, foretelling uh, who the Messiah is going to be, the type of, of uh, uh, the, the type of, of person he is. And so Jesus comes in, he fulfills all the prophecies that were written about the Messiah. There are over 300 prophecies that were fulfilled simply in his birth, let alone his life and his death and his resurrection. Jesus fulfills all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And Jesus fulfills scripture number three because he he fulfill the true meaning of the law. And this right here is huge. This is huge because this is where sometimes us as Christians, this is sometimes where we get off track, where legalism comes in. You know what God wants above everything else? We think God wants us to keep all the rules, to be a good person. But actually in Deuteronomy 6, in the middle of, of Moses giving the people all the commandments they're supposed to follow, it says in the middle of that that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What does God want above all? He wants our hearts. 
He wants our hearts dedicated to him. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day, and sometimes the religious leaders of our day, and sometimes some of us in this room, we focus on the commandments. We focus on that external list of rules that we're supposed to keep. We got to go to church. We got to give money to the poor. Uh, We've got to read our Bible. We've got to do all these things. And we focus on those externals, and we think, if I can just, just, just keep the list, and if I can be a good person, that will make me good with God. Listen, that was never God's intention for us. This is why in a couple of verses, Jesus is going to say this, you have heard it said, these are the commandments, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder. That's one of the commandments. Now, it'd be easy for us to say, hey, look, I've never murdered anybody. I'm good, God. I've kept your list. But because Jesus wants us to understand it's not about the list, it's about the heart. He goes further, and he says, he says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder, but I say to you, if you have anger in your heart, you are guilty. He says, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, and most of us are like, hey, I'm good with that, I've never done that. But it's not about the list, it's about the heart. And so Jesus says, You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you've got lust in your heart, you are guilty. See, God's not concerned about the list. He's concerned about our our heart. He wants a heart that is is dedicated to him, that that, that follows him and serves him and, and, and loves him. And Jesus, as he came to the earth, through his life and through his ministry, He shows us what it looks like to have a heart that is dedicated to God. In fact, the Apostle Paul sums up the commandments of Scripture this way in Romans 13. He says, the commandments are summed up by this commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. Love can do no wrong thing to a neighbor, therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. What was God's desire for us? Hearts that love him and love our neighbors as ourselves. And Jesus fulfills scripture because he fulfills that law in the very practical sense. But look what Jesus says next. Matthew 5, verse 18, he says, Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. You know what the iota is? Like when you draw an I and you put the little period above it? That's what an iota is. And the dot, the dot that Jesus says here, you know, you you draw a P, it's a little line that turns a P into an R. You know, you just add that little line. And what Jesus is saying is we can trust Scripture. We can trust Scripture. Because not one of those things will be dismissed. Not one of those things will pass away until all of Scripture is fulfilled. Which means we can have confidence that this book will will stand the test of time. We can have confidence that the things that Jesus says will be accomplished. The reality is, we're here today, and some of Scripture has already been accomplished. Some of the Old Testament has been accomplished, like the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. You know, when you sinned, you had to sacrifice a lamb in payment for your sin. Listen, that's been accomplished through Jesus. He is the Lamb of God, so we don't have to keep offering sacrifices for our sin. So some of Scripture has already been accomplished and fulfilled in Jesus, and some Scripture we are waiting for it to be fulfilled. 
Scripture talks about us waiting for Jesus to return, to usher into the kingdom of God. When he will fix all that's gone wrong in our world, he'll bring a new heavens and a new earth. We're waiting for that day to come. It's not been accomplished yet. Jesus is still in process of accomplishing that. And we have this confidence that because the word of the Lord will stand forever, that what he says will come to completion. It will be accomplished. We can trust the words of Scripture. And look at verse 19. It says, therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore, this is one of those corny preacher things. And when you see therefore, you ask, what is that therefore? And so, therefore, because Jesus has not gotten rid of the Old Testament, but because he's brought it to, he's came to fulfill it. Because of that, this is where it begins to shape us Christians and our relationship with Old Testament Scripture. He says this, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever does them and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. See, our relationship with, with, with Old Testament Scripture, our relationship in Scripture itself is one of obedience. And let me just say this, obedience matters. Obedience matters. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. See, there are some of us where we presume upon the grace of God just a little bit too much. Some of us, we are a little lazy in our walk with God. Yet this is what Jesus said. You will be called least in the kingdom of God. And this is what he's saying to us. He's saying we are robbing ourselves of the joy that God has for us when we don't live in obedience to what he has said. When we relax the commands of Scripture, what this does actually is it, it affects our fullness and vitality of life. It, it affects us experiencing all that God has given to us when we loosen his commands and live our own way instead of according to his way. Because too often, too often when we look at Scripture and the commands of Scripture, we think about God being like that parent. You remember when you were a teenager and your, and your mom had a curfew for you? My mom would have a curfew and say, you need to be home by midnight. Why? Because nothing good happens after midnight. And all the parents of teenagers said, amen, right? And so many of us, we look at God's word kind of like that. God, you're just trying to rob me of fun and joy life has. Listen, as a parent, that's not the case. I'm not trying to rob you of joy and restrict your happiness. As a parent, I'm like, teenagers, you can be dumb. Your brain isn't fully formed. Rarely anything good happens after midnight. That, that curfew is not meant to, to rob you of joy. It's meant to help you experience the best that life has to offer. This is the same way with commandments of Scripture. They're not meant to, to rob us of joy and life and all that the world has for us. It's meant to lead us to experience how life works best. It's meant to lead us to the point that we can be free of guilt and shame and enjoy the best life that God would have for us. It doesn't mean, again, that we have to every command in Scripture. Some of this has already been accomplished in Jesus. 
That's why it's so valuable for us to look in Jesus as he interprets the Old Testament to say, hey, look, that sacrificial system, that, 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 that lamb to die for your sin, I accomplished that for you. You don't have to do that again and again and again and again. Praise God. Praise God. We don't have unclean animals anymore. Praise God we get a little bit of bacon, right? But our obedience matters. Look what he says in verse 20. Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Is that a scary verse to you? See, the scribes and the Pharisees, these were people who were consumed with, with external conformity. You know that person. So consumed with looking the part and doing all the right things. This was them. In fact, there was a saying in Israel, there was a saying in Israel at the time of Jesus that he lived. And he said, if only two men got to heaven, one would be a scribe and the other would be a Pharisee. It's kind of like saying, it's kind of like saying, if, if you and I are going to be in heaven, then our righteousness, we've got to be better than Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. And I'm sorry, none of us in this room are going to be better than them, and that includes me. But what Jesus wants to do, he wants to redefine righteousness for us. Again, the scribes and the Pharisees, righteousness was all about keeping the rules. It was keeping the list. It was, it was external obedience. It was behavior modification. And if that, was, if that was the case, none of us would be able to exceed them. But that's not where righteousness comes from. Where does righteousness come from? Again, what is it God wants from us? He doesn't want us to focus on a list of rules. He wants our heart to be devoted to him, to genuinely love him, to love him more than we love ourselves, to love others more than we love ourselves. Righteousness is not about us changing our behavior. Righteousness is about having our hearts changed by God and having hearts that desire to follow and to know and to love God. In fact, this is the difference between religion and Christianity. We often say this. Christianity and religion are not the same thing. Religion is about behavior modification. It's about the things I do to make me acceptable to God. It's about me obeying all the rules so that way God loves me and God has to, to, to give me heaven. And Christianity, it's not about keeping the rules. Christianity is about us giving our heart to God and loving him and knowing him and pursuing him and following him. And guess what? When our hearts generally love him, our behavior follows. In fact, this past Friday night, I gotta, I gotta do a, I gotta be officiate a wedding for my niece. My niece married a young man by the name of James. It was a beautiful ceremony. It was a great chance to, to minister to my family. And I was talking to James, and and I'm like, hey James, here's what you need to know: to be a good husband, I'm not gonna give you a list of things you have to do. Because being a good husband is not a matter of keeping a list. Being a good husband means you have to genuinely love my niece. You love her genuinely. And that's how you become a good husband. Because guess what? Your behavior flows out of your heart. And if you will love her unconditionally and love her in that way, guess what? You will be a good husband. Can we understand that's the righteousness that God looks from us? 
It's not a bunch of things we've got to do and, and, and hoops we've got to jump through and a list we've got to complete. Righteousness is, does our heart hunger and thirst for him? And ultimately, Jesus is going to redefine righteousness even a little bit further. It is all about what's in our heart. But even in that regard, we are still not good enough. We are still not good enough. See, the prophet Jeremiah, who was a godly man, says our hearts are desperately wicked. I don't think any of us in this room can change our hearts. None of us in this room are strong enough to change our hearts on our own. That is why the righteousness that we need is not a righteousness, righteousness that comes from ourselves. It's a righteousness that comes from someone else. We need a righteousness that comes through Jesus by faith. Remember, remember the one person who was able to perfectly fulfill the law. It wasn't us. It wasn't Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. It was Jesus. That's why in Romans 3, it says, it's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus that leads us to our salvation. See, this righteousness that God demands from us it's not something we achieve on our own. It's something that we receive by faith through Jesus. In fact, one of the things you hear people say is they say, uh, they say, you know, you religious people, you religious people, you're weak. You Christians are weak. Jesus is a crutch. And I'd be like, no, man, you got it all wrong. This isn't my crutch. He, he's my stretcher. Like, I'm down on the ground. I got nothing to offer. I need Jesus to put me on that puppy and say, I'm carrying you because I'm I'm incapable on my own. This is where we put our faith not in ourselves, not in us changing our hearts, not in us keeping the rules. We put our faith in what Jesus has done for us. And that is where the righteousness comes from. That is where God redeems our heart, gives us the ability to love him genuinely and to pursue a relationship with him. Whew. Here's our... Uh, Here's our summary for this passage. Here's what Jesus is trying to teach us this morning. It's like he, Jesus validates the Old Testament scripture because he fulfills it. And that leads us into a pure righteousness by faith in him. He fulfilled this scripture. And that is what leads us into a pure righteousness, not in ourselves, but by faith in him. And I thought, what do we do now? How do we respond to God's word today? And I'll tell you, I don't have a list of things for you to do. That's not what it's about. That's not what you need. So what do you need this morning? What I want you to do this morning is I want you to open your heart a little bit. I want you to open your heart and to ask God to reveal in your heart and in your life Maybe some areas where maybe you aren't seeing things right. So I've got two questions I want you to think about. I want you to think about these questions and think, is this of me? Number one, do you love and obey the word of God? You see, Scripture is how we come to know who God is. Through Scripture, we see who he is. We see his majesty, we see his power, we see his grace. We come to know that God is a holy God. 
He, he's different than any other God that we can imagine. We see that he is a father who loves us. We see that he's a father who doesn't give us exactly what we want, but rather he gives us what we need. He gives us what is good for us. Through scripture, that's how we come to know him. The question is, Are you allowing scripture to, to reveal him to you? Are you reading scripture? Are you, are you, are you desiring to know who he is, to, to hear his words? See, one of the problems with Christianity today is that we, we have a lot of biblical illiteracy. We just don't know what the Bible teaches. We settle on these pithy uh, statements about faith. And fail to actually read and know what the Word of God says. In fact, this is where you've got to be able to be in Scripture. We've got some reading plans available. There are reading plans on your phone. I love the Bible app because you can jump in and say, hey, I want to read some Scripture and understand it. Follow along. There's opportunity for you to, to read and know the Word of God. It's not, only just, it's not just reading the Word of God. The second question is, do you actually obey it? Because I'll tell you what, the Bible is not just about information. In fact, there was a man uh, back at our old church office, when we were Yakima Avenue, a man that we would talk to oftentimes, he lived upstairs, and, and he'd come down and he'd say, hey, Pastor Kevin, Pastor Kevin, do you know how many chapters that there are in the Bible? And I'm like, I actually, no, I, that's not one of the things I was really concerned about. He said, well, I'll tell you what, there are 1,189 chapters. Of the I had to look that up. I had to count, okay? Pastor Kevin, uh, you're a pastor. Do you know how many verses there are in the Bible? And I'm like, no, I don't know how many verses there are in the Bible. He says, there are, uh, did I write that wrong? It's either 31,000 or 311,000. I don't know. I can't read my writing here. I'll tell you what, this guy had knowledge about the Bible. He knew a lot of stuff. But can I tell you, this guy was a jerk? This guy was a jerk. He was not loving others. He was not a servant. He would bite you, bite your head off if you walked in front of his little cart that he drove around in. See, it's not just about information. It's about are we obeying it and living it out? Our obedience matters. Our obedience does not earn our salvation, but your obedience, it shows your heart. Again, like I told my new nephew James, if you love my niece, the actions will take care of themselves. And this is what sets us apart as believers and as sons and daughters of God, is that when we love God genuinely, we take the things he says and we say, I'm going to be obedient to this. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, hear me today. God is not giving these rules to us so that he would rob us of joy. He's given them so we can know how life works best and get the most out of what this life has to offer. Number one, ask yourself, wrestle with this question. Do you know and love and obey the words of God? And number two, is your spiritual confidence, 
Is your spiritual confidence, is it based more on your external obedience and your religious devotion? Or is it based on a heart that seeks to know and to love God? You see, since the beginning of time, we've had Pharisees. Pharisees in Jesus' day, Pharisees in our day. They try and steal what genuine faith is all about. They try and make the people of God, the people of God, all about religion, about rules to keep, and limits our faith into this moral living and, and looking the part. And actually what they're doing is leading us away from genuine faith in Him. Yes, God wants our obedience. But more importantly, what does He want? He wants our heart. See, one of the worst things that we can do is be more concerned about the commandments than we are the commander who gave the commandments. Let me ask you this morning, are you in danger of being a Pharisee? more concerned with looking the part than you are of having a heart that is genuinely dedicated to the Lord. And actually, let me just flip this a little bit. Maybe you're like, I'm not concerned about, I'm not a Pharisee, I'm not concerned about looking the part. But maybe for you, you're like, hey, I prayed a prayer once. I prayed a prayer once. doesn't matter how I live today. I can do whatever the heck I want because I prayed a prayer. Isn't that kind of the same thing? question that you have to wrestle with, is your heart generally after seeking to love, to follow, to know Him? It's all about the heart. The question is, how do I know if my heart is generally seeking Him? How do I know if my heart is generally seeking to know and to love and to serve Him? Let me ask you questions. Is your faith your trust? Is it in yourself and what you've done? Or is it in God? Are you generally loving to others? Especially those who are different. And this is where it gets uncomfortable. Especially to those who are difficult. Are you loving to them? Are you humble enough to acknowledge that you are nothing apart from God. Do you know what those Pharisees do? They put all their confidence in how good I am. Look, I kept all the rules. I'm such a good person, God. Are you humble enough to acknowledge you are nothing apart from Him? And how about this? Are you repentant over your sin and your disobedience? Because even though our obedience matters, none of us will ever be perfect. None of us can be perfectly obedient to the words of Scripture. Are you repentant over your sin and your disobedience? And lastly, can you be consumed in praise and worship for how incredible God has been to you? See, we have an opportunity tonight We don't do these very often, but I am so excited. This is an opportunity for you to say, man, God, I want to have a heart that hungers and thirsts after you. That is our theme for tonight, is that we would have hearts that would hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so as you're sitting here in your your pew and you're like, God, 
man, it's easy for me to focus on externals. It's easy for me not to have a heart that hungers for you. And I invite you tonight, six o'clock in this room, come to the night of worship. And let's be a people who focus on God. How can we hunger and thirst for your righteousness, a righteousness a part of ourselves, a righteousness that is by faith in him and what he has done for us. That tonight we'd come and through prayer and the word of song, we might lift our hands up and say, it's about me. It's about you and what you've done for us. Praise God. Praise God that Jesus come not to throw scripture out. He came to fulfill it. To lead us to a pure righteousness, not based on what we've done, not based on how we've earned it, but based on our faith in Him.